Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now... Uh, I, I recently made a new friend who races Ferraris as a hobby. Okay, likes to drive at fast speeds. And so uh, just a week or so ago, he recommended a movie to me. He said, I, if you've never seen Ford versus Ferrari, you ought to check it out. You know, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's a couple years old now. Uh, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a pretty good review. Two Academy Awards, Matt Damon and uh, Batman himself, Christian Bale, a star in the movie. And it's all about the 1966 Le Mans 24-hour endurance race in France. So uh, prior to 1966, this race had been dominated by Ferrari. And Ford decided it was time to, you know, to really compete, to produce a car that could leave Ferrari in the dust. So they produced their uh, uh, prototype 40, uh, GT40, and realized after they put the car together, a really fast car, they needed a skilled driver if they were going to going to win at Le Mans. So enter Ken Miles. Uh, Ken Miles, uh, he was a, a hot-tempered British racer, a struggling auto mechanic whose lifelong dream, I mean, this, this was the goal of his life was to race in Le Mans and to win the race. And earlier that year, he had won the da Daytona 500, which brought him to the attention of Ford. So Ford put him in their car for Le Mans. And uh, I won't well, I will ruin the movie for you, so spoiler alert here. So Sue and I, uh, we're, we're streaming the movie, and it's got a lot of racing scenes in it, cars doing in excess of 200 miles an hour, but you come to the end of the race, and it looks like Ken Miles wins the race, but then they give the trophy to somebody else because of a technicality, so he's crushed. I mean, this is what he's given his life to, right? And to make matters worse, a few months later, He's out testing a car uh, in the desert of Southern California, and the brakes give out, and he's killed. And then the credits come up on the screen, and Sue and I turn to each other and say, great date night movie. <laughs> wow, we will never ask that friend to recommend a movie again. <laughs> no, it's actually a really good movie, but here's, here's my takeaway from it, as Sue and I talked about it afterwards. It's possible to be giving yourself to dreams lifelong, that when you finally reach them, if you do reach them, you're left asking, was it worth it? I mean, what, what of lasting significance do I have to hold on to? You stop and think about your own list of achievements. You know, you won the science fair back in middle school, or you got first chair in the band in high school, or a starting position on the soccer team. You got your college diploma. Remember how proud you were? You walked across the stage and you took your, your diploma dressed in, in cap and gown. Or, or you put lots of money and effort. You were planning for six months for your wedding and it was a big shebang. Or you finally landed the job of your dreams, the job you, you always wanted. Yeah. Or Or what? You know, what, what did you achieve as you look back? Maybe it was moving from an apartment into a house or from a house into a mega house, whatever it was. Okay, how long lasting was the buzz? 
You know, the truth of the matter is those things are now in our rearview mirror and the elation quickly faded. It didn't last as long as we thought it would. Well, today's sermon is entitled Fruit That Lasts. Fruit That Lasts. This is the final installment in a three-part series. We've been hunkering down in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, uh, calling this a deeper connection to Jesus. And as we've been saying, this is not only the, the title to this series, uh, this is the mega goal for Christ's community this year. This ministry season, our goal is to see every one of us develop a deeper connection to Jesus. Well, in John chapter 15, and by the way, if you brought one of these, would you turn with me right now? John chapter 15, Jesus uses the metaphor, metaphor of a grapevine and its branches to teach us that he, the grapevine, wants to produce in us, the branches, lasting fruit lasting fruit but in order for jesus to do that we've got to make it our habit to daily remain in him now last week we learned how to do that by the way if you missed that sermon it's a critical piece of this john 15 study so go back online sometime and and watch it how to remain in jesus remain is a word that pops up 11 times in this passage so you know it's the emphasis of what jesus had to say so today we're going to learn about the lasting fruit, the eternally significant results that Jesus produces in us when we remain in him. So if your Bible is open to John 15, uh, last week I said to you as I read the passage, uh, please note every time the word remain pops up, 11 times circle it if you've got your own Bible open in front of you. We like to mark up Bibles around here. And today I'm going to say look for another word. Look for the word fruit or fruitful. You're going to see it nine times in this passage, so put a star or a check mark next to it. Let me begin at verse 1, and I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that, the, so that it will become even more fruitful. Three times already. Drop down to verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in, in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Drop down to verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Drop down all the way to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So our topic today is fruit. And the uh, first thing we're going to learn is that the fruit Jesus the vine wants to produce in us, the branches, has to do with its wide variety. So number one, the variety, the variety that flourishes. Let me see how much you know about the variety of literal fruit here, okay? We all, we all know about bananas and apples and oranges. Uh, but I'm going to put on the screen a picture of five different, little more exotic fruits and see if you can identify them, okay? So our tech team is running ahead of me a little bit here. What is this first one? You know what it is? 
Oh, good. Some of you knew. This is jackfruit. Uh, you'll find it in Southeast Asia. It is the largest tree-borne fruit in the world. It can weigh as much as 80 pounds, and it tastes like a cross between an apple and a banana. Jackfruit. Okay, what about this next one? Oh, some of you are pretty sharp here. Yeah, this is dragon fruit, native to Mexico, very colorful red and green on the outside, just like the Mexican flag. It's got black seeds. They say it's kind of like kiwi. Third one. Looks like little apples, doesn't it? Uh, but these are sour plums, and they grow in the Middle East. And uh, they come from the same plum family, uh, fl family as sweet plums, but they're harvested earlier so that they stay sour, and they are dipped in salt and eaten as a snack in the Middle East. Okay, number four. Ah, a little stranger, gotten quiet here. Cherimoya. Okay, you will find this in South America. It's got a soft custard-like flesh. It tastes, they say, like a combination of banana, pineapple, and bubble gum. I've never tasted a fruit like bubble gum. Wow. Okay, one last one. Very colorful. Kiwano. It's also called horned melon. You probably don't know about it because it grows in sub-Saharan Africa. Orange spiky skin and inside of yellow and green seeds, which is appropriate, yellow and green, because it tastes, they say, like lemony cucumber. So what's the point of this little exercise? I just want to spark your interest in the wide variety of fruit, literal fruit, that God produces. Because now I want to introduce the variety of fruit that Jesus wants to produce in your life. He's the vine. We're the branches. What's the fruit? Okay, I see at least five different kinds of fruit in John 15. There are many more kinds of fruit than what we're going to take a look at, but at least five in John 15. Here's the first one. Answered prayers. Answered prayers. Now, last week we noted that praying all day long, praying throughout the course of the day, is one of the ways we remain in Christ. Now, today what we're going to learn is there's an added bonus here. The bonus is that as you're praying all day long, you're experiencing answered prayers. So drop down to verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Okay, pray, and it will be done for you. Go down to verse 16 again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Great, Jesus, what is this fruit that you're going to produce? Well, keep reading. So that whatever you ask, whatever you pray in my name, the Father will give you. Answer prayer. Answer prayer. I got a buddy uh, who used to be a member of Christ Community Church. He moved south to South Carolina this summer, but we, we text each other every day, and we share our insight from the Bible reading of the day and how we're, we're putting it into practice in our lives. And so this last week, he texts me, and he, he's got a question for me. He says, why does God wait for us to pray before he does something good? He said, you know, as I was growing up, I was taught to do good even if people don't ask for it, all right? That's my job is to do good. He said, why doesn't God do good until we ask for it? And I said, well, you know, part of the answer to that question, you know, one of those stump the pastor questions, right? 
part of the answer is what we taught last week. Okay, one of the reasons God wants us to pray is just so that we'll stay connected to Jesus. We'll remain. You can't go through the day praying without remaining in Christ. But again, the bonus of this is that as we remain in Christ, as we go through our day praying, we're beginning to experience the answers to our prayers. Part of the reason for that is that when we remain in Christ, we're more liable to pray prayers you know, that are in accord with God's will, unselfish prayers, Christ-honoring prayers, the kinds of prayers that God loves to answer. Now, James, in his New Testament epistle, he, he warns us about the flip side of that. James says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, you do not have because you don't ask God. Okay, you don't have because you don't pray. And then he continues, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, so much of your praying is self-centered. So staying connected to Jesus by praying all day long, th then you'll pray the kinds of prayers that God loves to answer. But by the way, this is not a carte blanche guarantee that everything you pray, even if it's in accord with God's will, he will Say yes to God is all wise. Sometimes he says no for reasons only he knows. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that one day you get to heaven and Jesus is going to take you on a tour of the place and you go to this ginormous warehouse and you walk in the warehouse and there's shelf after shelf with your name on the shelves. And you say, what's all this? Jesus says, this is the stuff I had for you, but I couldn't give it because you didn't pray. I was just waiting for you to pray. Or when you were praying, the stuff you were praying was rather lame. And this is the really good stuff I wanted to give you. You get it? That was really soft. You get it? Good, good. Answered prayers. Here's a second fruit. So first fruit, answered prayers when you remain in Christ. And so if you're not experiencing answered prayers in your life on a regular basis, it could be that you're not practicing remaining in Christ. Second fruit, the experience of Jesus' love. The experience of Jesus' love. Go back to chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love now there are two things in these verses i want you to note about jesus love and the first one ought to just blow us away jesus says that he loves us with the same love that the father lavishes on him now you gotta just let that sink in Jesus loves me with the same intensity that the Father loves him. Wow. Second thing I want you to, to note about Jesus' love here is that the experience of this love is conditional. It's conditioned on our walking in obedience to Jesus so that we're remaining in him. You see that in the opening line of verse 10? He says, if you keep my commands... Okay, this is a conditional clause, grammarians tell us. If, 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 if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. 
Now, we're fond of speaking of God's unconditional love. You've heard that before, right? Which means God loves us no matter what, right? Right. However, our experience of that love depends upon our walking in obedience to Christ so that we're remaining in him. You know, Jude puts it this way in his New Testament epistle. When was the last time you heard anybody quote from Jude, right? <laughs> it's a little one-chapter book right before Revelation. Jude says in verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in God's love. Interesting. So you could be a Christ follower, and if we're being told to keep ourselves in God's love, you could step out of the path of that love. Let me illustrate what, what, what's going on here. When I was a boy, my family traveled. Every June for our summer vacation, we went to Florida. Really nice time to go to Florida in the, in the midst of the, of the heat. But we always went to the same hotel. It was right on the beach, and we used the beach some, but every day we lived in the pool. Now, I've got three siblings, and two of them and I, my older brother, my younger sister, and, and I, we would spend all day in the pool. We loved the pool. We had a blast in the pool. We experienced the pool. But for reasons I've never figured out, and I should probably just ask her, my older sister hardly ever went in the pool. So the pool was there for her just like it was there for us. But she didn't experience the pool. Now you can see where I'm going with this Jesus love is there for you Je Jesus wants to lavish his love on you in the same way that the father lavishes his love on him but you got to get in the pool okay so if you don't make a habit of remaining in Jesus you won't experience his love for you you won't experience the fruit of Jesus healing comforting uplifting confidence inspiring life transforming love this is the fruit of remaining in him, the love of Christ. Fourth, third, rather, maximum joy, third fruit, maximum joy. Back to John 15, look at verse 11. Jesus said, I've told you this, okay, the this in context is the importance of walking in obedience to him so that we'll remain in him. So he says, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, pause here for a moment. How do you feel? Truthfully, how do you feel when Jesus reiterates the importance of remaining in him by obeying him? I mean, obedience is another theme of this chapter. He says, you're my friend if you do what I say. This is my command. He says several times, this is, this is what I want you to obey. Now, when you hear this emphasis on obedience, is it like the walls begin to close in on you? You start to feel this heavy weight of, of duty? Do, do you imagine a long list of, of rules, of do's and don'ts that maybe Jesus is going to expect you to memorize and, and, and live out? Because that's not at all how Jesus describes obedience in verse 11. He says that obedience produces the fruit of joy, his joy, complete joy in our lives. I'm not sure we believe this. I'm not sure we believe this. I mean, call to mind right now, if, if you would, a few of the Bible's commands that you resist. Okay, you got something in mind? Yeah, we've all got 
some that we know, but, you know, we don't do, isn't our reluctance to obey those commands rooted in our conviction that doing so would not really make us happy? In fact, quite possibly just the opposite. For example, God's word commands us to be generous givers. In fact, the Bible sets the baseline for our giving at 10% of our income. says that first 10% goes right back to the Lord's work. Now, if you're convinced that obeying God in this regard would give you maximum joy, you will be a hilarious giver. You can't wait to give. And if you're a reluctant giver or a sometimes giver or an almost never giver or a 2% giver, it could be because you're certain in your heart of hearts, this wouldn't make you happy. In fact, spending your money in other ways is what would make you happy. See how this works? You know, the Bible commands us to forgive those who have hurt us, to let go of our resentment. But some of us are convinced that wouldn't make us happy. We'd be happier if we just clung to our resentment, right? If we were convinced that forgiving people would give us maximum joy, wouldn't we do it? You know, what about the whole area of sexuality, something we're going to touch on in a series coming up this fall? You know, the Bible says that a a sexual relationship is to be protected within the bounds of a marriage commitment. How many of us are convinced that's true, that if we obey God in that regard, we'll be happy? Or have we convinced ourselves we'll be happiest if we sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend or the person we're currently living with? You know, are we convinced that obedience to Christ, that remaining in him really produces maximum joy listen friends take jesus at his word remain in him by obeying him and he will produce in you the fruit of maximum joy you get it good you're warmed up a little bit now i could tell here's a fourth fruit friendship with jesus Now, this is a little bit different than the second fruit remember the second one is the experience of jesus love So when we remain in Jesus, we we not only experience his love, we also begin to enjoy an ever-deepening friendship with him, a sense that we're hanging out together. I'm sharing with him the intimacies of my life, and he's entrusting stuff to me that I wouldn't hear from him. He's telling me stuff I wouldn't hear unless I were remaining in him. So Jesus and, and, and I, no exaggeration, we begin to become best friends. Drop down to verse 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Wow, when we remain in Jesus, the son of God takes us into his confidence. He gives us insider information that we wouldn't get about God unless we were remaining in him. Now, the principal way that Jesus does that is as we pick up his word daily, as we read it, as we make application to our lives. But I think there are other ways as well that Jesus reveals his will to us. Sometimes it's promptings, internal promptings. You you, you ought to do this, a little kick from behind. Sometimes it's just insight and wisdom when we're trying to make a difficult decision. Sometimes it's warnings when we're about to do something that's stupid, ill-advised harmful we 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 sort of feel like 
internally, Jesus is saying, don't go there. How, does that ha- how do we get to the place of that sort of friendship with Christ? Where sharing of, of ideas is taking place. Well, we remain in him. That's part of the fruit of remaining in Christ. One last one. I'm going to call this witnessing impact. Okay, witnessing impact. Drop down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says to his followers, I've appointed you. Now, Bible scholars tell us that the word appointed there infers a mission. Okay, Jesus has given us a mandate. He said, this is what I want you to do. I've appointed you for this task. What's the mission? Well, it's the closing words that Jesus gives his followers before he ascends back to heaven at the end of his earthly life. Okay, closing words, Matthew 28, verse 19, closing verse or two of Matthew, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Introduce other people to me. Says the same thing, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is a different uh, recording of the same instance where he's on the Mount of Olives about to take off for heaven, and he turns to his disciples and says, now stay put until I send you the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit fills you, you will be my witnesses so what is the fruit of remaining in jesus okay when we're remaining in christ friends conversations about jesus just sort of bubble up they happen naturally we find ourselves talking about who jesus is and what he's done and how he's changed my life And, and, and sometimes there's an interest oftentimes there's not but Sometimes someone shows interest, and so the next step often is to invite someone to take a next step. We say, have you ever read the Bible? I'm always recommending to people, hey, there are four short biographies of Jesus in the Bible. One of them is called Mark. And if you read like five minutes a day, you can finish this book in two weeks, and you'll get to know Jesus. So people take us up on that. Or sometimes our invitation is not to the Bible, it's to church. Next weekend at Christ Community Church, it's not for us. It's for our friends. We do this several times a year, an invitational weekend with a guest that we know your friends will love, Daniel Nayeri with his story, Everything Sad is Untrue, a best-selling book. Your friends will, will love it, but you go to a friend and you invite them and they come. And maybe some of those friends that you've invited to read the Bible or come to church or take a next step eventually surrender their lives to Christ. Become Christ followers. Not, not that you were the one who necessarily walked them across the line, but somewhere along the way you put a pebble in their shoe. Somewhere along the way you were a link in the chain. And there is no greater excitement in the Christian life than bearing that kind of fruit. Oh, it, it, it is wonderful when you have an opportunity to do that. You know, one day Jesus was sitting on, on the side of a well outside a town called Samaria. The story's in John chapter 4. And a woman comes to draw water. And Jesus says, you know, if you knew who I, 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 I am, you'd ask me for living water, which gets them into a spiritual conversation. And she encounters Christ for who he is. And it's so life-transforming, she runs into town and tells everybody she knows, she invites them to come out and meet Jesus. And so as the crowd is coming toward Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples, points to the crowd and says, look, the harvest is ripe. Look, there are people out there. 
in whose hearts God has been working. They're ripe for a relationship with Jesus. All it takes is for us to say the word, to drop Jesus into the conversation. Why don't we do it? People are ripe, we're not ready. Why are we not? I'll tell you to my embarrassment, I'm not ready sometimes because I'm just not remaining in Christ in the moment. It's the bottom line. I'm just not remaining in Christ, so I'm not feeling it, you know? I don't have my groove on, my spiritual groove. I, I, I'm not moved to drop Jesus into the conversation. But when I'm remaining in Christ, oh, it just kind of bubbles up. You can't contain it. See, this is the fruit, the wide variety of fruit. Our job is to remain in Christ, and if we do, he produces in us answered prayers the experience of his love, maximum joy, friendship with him, witnessing impact. Okay, that's our first point. Our second two go a lot more quickly in case you were wondering if you're gonna get home for lunch. All right, here's number two. That's the fruit that flourishes, okay? The variety that flourishes. Number two, the growth that's anticipated. There is a really cool progression I want you to see in John 15. In fact, I gotta tell you, the more time I spend in this chapter, the more cool stuff I see. And this cool thing hap happens to be a, a progression that I want you to note that has to do with fruit. Okay, so look at verse one. I am the vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So if you're marking up your Bible, triple underline, no fruit. Keep reading, verse two. While every branch that does bear fruit, oh, stop there, now triple underline fruit. We've just gone from no fruit in verse one to fruit, verse two. Let's finish verse two. He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Oh, no fruit, fruit, more fruit, but we're not done, done yet. Drop down to verse five. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear, say it with your outdoor voice, much fruit. We're, we're now up to much fruit. Verse seven says the same thing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, but we got one more step to go. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So here's the progression. Here's the growth that remaining in Jesus will produce in our lives. He promises that if we'll remain in him, we will go from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit to much fruit that lasts. Now, isn't it interesting that in many areas of our lives, we just expect to grow. We, we expect, if you're in school right now, don't you kind of expect that as you stay in school, you're gonna get smarter? I hope so. You know, if you, you started a new job recently and you're on a steep learning curve, don't you hope that six months from now, a year from now, you're gonna be doing a much better job, bed work? You know, if you're, you're, you're a new tennis player and you're taking lessons, I dare say you hope that one day your game is a whole lot better than it is right now. If you're a young parent, you got preschoolers. You know, I got news for you. The challenge just gets bigger, okay? So if you thought this is the biggest challenge, wait till they get to be, you know, puberty 
or teenagers or young adults. So you're constantly upping your game. You sort of expect that that's the way it's going to be. Unfortunately, we often fail to bring the same anticipation of growth to our fruit bearing. Yeah, sometimes we just don't expect that Jesus is going to produce more and more and more and more fruit in us. I mean, how do we read the Bible? You know, if you read it on a daily basis, you're following our Bible-savvy reading schedule, is it simply a spiritual discipline that gives you the right to check off a box? Well, I did that. Read my Bible. Or do you read it with anticipation that you're going to connect somehow with God, and as a result of what you learn and put into practice, you're going to bear more fruit? Let's say you're in a community group. I hope you're in one of our community groups. But if you are, what are your expectations? Do you anticipate growth? Are you in the group simply because it's a, it's a cool group of friends to hang out with, do life with, and you study the Bible or read a book together and pray for each other? Or do you anticipate that your participation with this group of people is going to result in greater fruitfulness in your life? When you come to Christ's community on a weekend, why are you here? Okay? It, is it because there is a little bit of a feel-good spiritual experience that you'll have? Some of you say, well, I used to think that before you started pestering me with all these questions. <laughs> or are you here in anticipation of becoming more fruitful? That you're going to hear something here. Or as you participate in, in worship, as you bump elbows with brothers and sisters in Christ, something's going to happen in your life and you're going to become more fruitful. You know, go back to the variety of fruits that we talked about in our opening point. What, what kind of growth are you seeing in these areas of your life? Are you seeing more and more answered prayers? Like, oh yeah, I'm hitting a stride. Are you experiencing more of Jesus' love, more joy, maximum joy? Is your friendship with Jesus deepening? Are you seeing greater witnessing impact and, and, and sort of a bent to working Jesus in conversations? But please understand, it's not your job to produce these things in your life. That's not what I'm hinting at. I'm not saying, hey, work harder at producing this because you don't produce it. Who produces it? Jesus, the vine. You're a branch. But what's your job? To remain in him. And if you'll remain in Christ, he'll produce this fruit in you. Third and final point, the glory that's displayed. I think my favorite fruit verse in John 15 is verse 8. So let me take you back there for one last look. He says, Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves, displaying yourselves to be my disciples. How do we bring glory to God? By bearing much fruit. And so when we're remaining in Jesus, and as a result, he's producing fruit through us, our lives are making two important statements to a watching world. Two statements. First one. When Jesus is producing his fruit in us, we're making this statement, this is what God's like. As Jesus produces in us the fruit of kindness and grace and generosity and forgiveness and joy and peace, 
We whet people's appetite for God. People begin to wonder, what's, what's behind this? And the credit's given to God. Even people who are not interested in God see God in our lives as Jesus produces his fruit in us. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, so when Jesus produces in us the fruit of good, good deeds, who gets the credit? The Father does. See, th this is the premise behind our great day of serving on October 16th. Okay, so we've identified all these projects that could be done in the communities that surround our five campuses. We're going to try to recruit hundreds of you as volunteers to give us half a day from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we're going to go out and we're going to do things with the love of Christ for the sake of our community. Why? So that people look and say, where's this compassion? Where's this love? Where's this caring coming from? Ah, our Heavenly Father gets the credit. This is what God is like. You know, we've got a slogan around Christ's community church. Good deeds produce goodwill, which opens the door to share the good news. Good deeds, goodwill. We're creating some goodwill on October 16th so that people will be open to the good news about Christ. Now, I know if you make a commitment, and if you haven't yet, I hope you'll sign up individually or as a family or as a community group for one of these projects. And as we do this, I know that that commitment's going to cost you. It may cost you your Saturday tea time. I don't mean sipping tea. I mean on the golf course. It may cost you a round of golf that day. It, it may cost you your soccer game if you're a Park District soccer player in order to participate with your family and serve our community in Jesus' name. You may have to miss a soccer game. You may miss some backyard work, which is really important this time of year, or maybe a trip to the outlet mall. I, it may cost you something, but this is the way that we say, this is what God's like. Now, we, we make a second statement when we bear fruit, the statement is, this is what true Christ followers are like. Look at the last half of verse 8. Jesus says that when we bear much fruit, not only is God glorified, but we show others that we're his disciples. Now, listen to me, those of you who are Christ followers. You know, we are living currently in a culture where people associate professing Christ followers with certain things. You know, they hear us talking about a political party that we belong to, or we've got an attitude about masks or vaccinations. We're expressing our opposition to a particular evil like abortion. That's a good thing. Maybe they're seeing an indifference to social justice. What are they associating us with? And is that what we want our reputation to be? Because I'll tell you what I want to be identified by as a follower of Jesus. I want to ident be identified by much fruit. Who's with me? Yeah. That was, wouldn't it be great if we were an amening church? <laughs> I want to be identified by much fruit. That's what I want my calling card to be. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a dark world, but as Paul says in Philippians, when Christ followers shine like stars in the night, darkness only accentuates the light.
And so as we go out, as we be a light, as we bear fruit, Jesus produces his fruit in us. May you be glorified. May people see, oh, this is, is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what God produces in people's lives who are surrendered to Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.